Hello. I have an invitation to tea with the Queen. Yes, Emma's been expecting you. Please come in. I think that we just massively underestimate, especially as women, our own capability and awesomeness. And it, it's changed. It's changed my life completely. Yeah. Sometimes I think you go through this journey as a business owner and think you're a bit crazy. You're like, who am I to have this dream? Well, I just think women are hard on themselves. I wish I had been more confident in what I was capable of. But I feel like you do what feels right for you, then that's going to be always on brand. Women, our natural inclination is to be pleasers and to put other people before self. I've never had a tea with the Queen before and this is such a pleasure. <laughs> Hello, I'm Emma McQueen and welcome to Tea with the Queen. Life throws challenges at all of us from time to time, but spare a thought for Casey McKinley. She was a mum at 18 and very soon a single mum. That didn't stop her, though, from building and then selling and building again very successful businesses. Casey's incredible journey is detailed in her book, Girls Don't Lay Bricks, the title of which refers to her being the only female apprentice bricklayer at a construction site. Welcome, Casey, to Tea with the Queen. I am so excited to have you with us. I have read your book cover to cover, and I love what you had to say, and I'm thrilled that you can join us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure having a chat with someone that's read my book and gone through all the details. So I look forward to seeing what comes of today. Yeah. And from an author to another author, I know how hard it is to write a book. So, you know, it's you got to put your glue on your bum and sit down and get it done, don't you? Yes. And I think we always end up looking back and going, oh, I wish I had to change that or added this in. And it's never ever, ever complete. You've just got to put it out there and hope for the best. I totally agree with you. There's some parts of the book and I'm like, no, I can't believe I said that. Oh, well, it's gone out now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about how you got into bricklaying and what was it like doing the physical hard yards with the blokes? Were you treated any differently? So I was doing year 10 at my school and I wanted to do a work experience and I was looking to do something a bit different, different to what everyone else was doing. I think most of the girls at my school were doing a beauty apprenticeship or, um, yeah, always getting into that sort of side of things and I loved working outdoors. So my careers woman actually said, well, there's a bricklaying company that are looking for staff. Would you like to go have a go? And I went out there and I enjoyed it so much, just the manual labour, getting there. It was hard work, but I picked it up really quickly and, and that was it. I wanted to continue. Love it. And I think I resonated with it because when I was in grade 10, I did work experience as a mechanic and I loved yeah. it. I've always been one of these people that pulls things apart and puts them back together and all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, my dad got in the way. He wouldn't let me do that full time. But tell me, did they treat you any differently? Oh, they treated me so much differently from like, because we we're working on a housing estate that had all the tradies on site. So I was the only female out of all of the tradies. The site supervisor would always come up to me and say, go get a real job. You shouldn't be here. And Aww. it wasn't until that he realised that I was here to stay that he started to change his tune. But it took a lot of time and it took the guys even to realise that I could do what they could do. Yeah. So, but it also took a lot of time for my, my strength to build up to be able to do what they could do as well. So I think everything ended up coming together and they ended up accepting me. 
around that time when you were still a teenager, you took a trip to Uganda as well. What's the story behind that? So after year 10, I did year 11 and year 12 of working four days a week bricklaying. So I'd do Monday, Wednesday, Friday and Saturdays. And at the end of it all, before I started full-time work bricklaying, which was the pathway I was going down, there was a group going across to Uganda to build classrooms and they needed tradies. They weren't expecting me to turn up, of course. Of course. Um, and <laughs> I thought, you know what, it would be a great opportunity instead of doing schoolies to go do some good. And and so I went across there and, and helped build some classrooms. I love it. I love it so much. My sister and her husband have been to Uganda a few times to do similar things. Uh, probably not as intense as bricklaying, I suspect, but um, still it's uh, it's an awesome thing to be able to give back. And what a great mature response to not going to school is, but going and, and helping someone else in need. Oh, it was definitely eye-opening. I um, always tell the story because I, I went over there and I was sponsored by different bricklaying stores. So I had a lot of gear and um, like gloves to give out to all the workers. And once I got there, all of my luggage was actually stolen. So um, people at the airport like to steal the luggage and, and sell it off to the airports. And I was just wow. one of those unlucky people. So all I had was what I had in my backpack. And your clothes on your back. That was wow. a, a long pair of gloves out of 50 that were donated. And oh. because I didn't have the heart to tell the stores that it had all been stolen and figured someone was getting use out of it, <laughs> I um, went around to all the different tradesmen and got them to take a photo wearing this one pair of gloves so I could <laughs> pull out. So innovative, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> trying to make the best of a worse situation. But wow, it's a weird twist, isn't it? You're going over there to volunteer your time, and then someone steals your stuff. Like <laughs> you came back and back to a boyfriend. Tell us about that. Yeah, so right before I left, I um, got a new boyfriend. So I was still 17, not yet 18. I was one of those young ones at school that didn't actually turn 18 till you finish year 12. Yeah. And I'd only known him for a month and then went and spent a month over in Uganda. Once I came back, it wasn't long before I found out I was actually pregnant. Oh, tricky. I mean, nowadays I think about if one of my kids was to come home and say, oh, I'm pregnant, I'd be like, oh, okay, let's just deal with it. You know, like back then, probably quite different. Oh, so different. Yeah, yeah. And you had your son, Kingston, at a really early age with no support from your son's father. How challenging were those early days? Well, I was 17 when I fell pregnant and 18 when I had my son. And when my son was four months old is when I decided to be a single mum. I figure if you can do both roles better yourself, then you do it. And the stigma that comes along with being a single mum and, and the challenges, like everyone, as soon as they would be like, oh, how's the partner or how how are you guys going? And I'm like, no, it's just me. I, I, like their answer automatically is, I'm sorry. Mm. Sorry to hear that. And I'm like, it's always um, hard enough to get past those sorts of conversations, let alone doing the hard work of everything yourself for this yes. child. Yes. So I needed to be financially independent and yeah. um, be able to cover all the costs because children are expensive and and I basically didn't sleep for the first seven years of his life. How old is he now? How old is Kingston he's now? He's 12. He's 12 now? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So he's in grade eight? Seven, year seven. Year seven. Oh, my goodness. It didn't stop you from following your dreams, though. In fact, Kingston spurred you on a bit. Yeah, well, 
what can't you do when you're pregnant is lift heavy things. So everything that I'd worked towards for such a long time, I could no longer do. And there was no such thing as maternity leave as bricklayer. Yes. So I had to completely change it up and I'd started getting sort of casual work for a different promotional agencies and, and learning about different industries and, and realised I could create an opportunity for myself to own my own company so I could be a mum earn a good income and have the flexibility to do everything that Kingston needs me to do, like pick him up from school and drop him back and get him to sports. So Perfect. I ended up in a brand new career. Yeah. So tell us about your your first business, which is the promotions company. How did that come about? So I'd been working for different promotional companies for a while and, and built up quite a reputation within the shopping centres for myself and realised that they started requesting me for different jobs. And then the penny dropped when I was having a conversation with the marketing manager and they turned to me and said that the company I was working for was charging my time out at $50 an hour and I was only getting 22. Yep. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what do I need to do to actually get that whole income and started working towards that? Yeah. So I set myself up, like set up a company and slowly started to have these conversations with different different companies and I managed to get Westfield on as my first client. I mean that's amazing really. Yeah. Yeah, It was was good. (laughs) It was good. The conversation didn't necessarily go to plan because they automatically were like, all right, so will you be able to provide us with staff? And I was just trying to get myself hired, like myself the whole (laughs) income. And like instantly I was like, yes, of course. I've got friends that, you know, need a job or friends that could do different things to help out. So instinctively I said yes and and ran with it and it grew it grew to a large size what I love is that you just said yes and then you figured out the details later yeah of course I've got stuff of course I can do Westfield I mean now as if that wasn't enough you went and bought a disused factory factory that I turned into an aerial dance studio right um, my parents got over having all the costumes and fairy force machines that went along with having an events company in their garage and it was overflowing, of course, into their house. Yeah. So I needed to start looking at different spaces. They thought I was going to purchase a house and move out into it and I thought a better plan was actually to create a whole other company. Um, of course. I realised when I was going through the loan applications to be able to even look at purchasing a house that you needed two incomes. And I didn't want to have to rely on a man for that. And I was like, I will create it. But they would give me a loan as a business owner, but not as a mum, which was an odd thing. So That is odd, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I went forward and went, all right, I'll buy a factory. And I only needed a small amount of space for all the storage. So I created an aerial dance studio. So I had a daytime job, a nighttime job, an in-between job of being a mum. And oh, my goodness. You must have been crazy. No wonder you didn't sleep for seven years of first seven years of Kingston's life. Tell us about the time frame. So how old was Kingston when you bought the factory? Kingston was five. Okay, right. And so you were running the promotions company and you had the factory. Yeah. So, and then it took two years to renovate. Okay. Um, there was different hurdles. So I was going owner-builder on on the whole factory. So, yeah. and the council likes to throw random spanners about all sorts of things that you can't even imagine, which delayed it. And then like any renovation, it blows out costs and whatnot. So yeah, Kingston was five. And by the time he was seven, I had the opening. 
Wow. And so what is it? It's now an aerial dance studio that taught like the circus art, so aerial silks, pole dancing, aerial hammock and aerial hoop. I don't even know what aerial hammock is. Is it kind of like normal hammock? <laughs> kind of, but you dance in it and throw yourself upside down and it's oh. like aerial yoga. Well, that sounds fun. Okay. Yes. Right. It, it is. It was just basically providing a safe environment for women to be able to come and learn something new while building new fitness skills and, and getting out. So it was great. It ran at nights mostly, okay. all our classes, and then yeah. I, I ran the promotions company during the day. Right. And what does it do now? Have you you still got all of those things? No, I managed to sell both of them before COVID hit. Oh, well done you. (laughs) I think I'm the only one that lucked out of that. (laughs) So you sold the promotions company and just sold the studio? Yes. So I sold the promotions company probably a year and a half before COVID hit. And then right at the start of COVID, sort of six months before, I sold the business and then sold the factory in the first lockdown. So I sold it two separately. So I got two extra paydays out of that one. Oh, nice. That's amazing. So what are you doing now then? Now I run aerial championships across Australia. I do a lot of public speaking in different schools and I sit on a couple of boards. So I'm I'm more focusing on what, what I enjoy doing. Yeah, nice. And what impact you can have, I guess. Well, that's exactly it. And I think that especially aerial arts, they deserve to get recognition for all the skills that they have and there's not a lot of platforms unless you go to Circus LA for them to gain that recognition. So, like, I created this competition for them and to keep me going, keep my hand in the pie, I guess. I love events and I love aerial arts, so why not combine it and oh, just carry on? Why not? Yeah. It sounds like you've always been a really hard worker, though. I mean, bricklaying is not for the faint-hearted, I'm guessing. Um, do you think it's a prerequisite to entrepreneurship, being a hard worker? Yeah, definitely. And I think not being afraid to fail Yes, more than anything. Like I don't mind going in there into a situation where everyone's telling me I can't do something. And I probably couldn't the first three or four goes that I had at it. But I think a lot of determination comes into owning a business as well, um, wanting it to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you sound like the kind of chick who you're like, if someone tells me I can't, oh, I'll prove them wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I'll probably have a mental breakdown or two before I prove them wrong, but we do get there in the end. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It's absolute credit to you that you're able to build up two businesses from scratch. I mean, we didn't know COVID was on the horizon. Why did you decide at those moments to um, sell the promotions company and then the studio? Well, it was time to sell the promotions company because it was time for me to look at having another child. I- okay. And uh, me and my partner had sort of discussed it. What something needed to give. Yes. Um, and I could no longer sort of work two jobs, be a mum and a partner. And I felt like I had learned everything I could learn from having the promotions company. So it was time. It was more of a learning experience more than anything. And so it was time to sell that one. And then we bought a house in a, a location that was far away from the factory. So when I sold it. The idea was actually that I was going to move it closer to where I was living and create another space, an aerial dance studio close to where we live now. And it turns out it was perfect timing and I just sat on it and I'm, I will work out what to do next after that. Yeah, how cool. Yeah, I mean, that is the thing about having babies, isn't it? There's never a right time. No. <laughs> and also, if your life's so full makes creating baby quite hard, doesn't it? Well, it does. It's like, <laughs> all right, maybe I'll work one job. 
and, and <laughs> instead of three, instead of three, and that's that's okay. Do you know what? Like, yeah. it doesn't doesn't take away from anything. Um, Absolutely. But I actually, I I always forget. I actually have a um a tanning company as well. So of course you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just forgot to mention that. <laughs> I feel like I need to have a dot point list of everything I do do instead of. <laughs> what are you doing now? Oh, I'm not doing much. I'm just doing some speaking. Oh no, and I've got this other business. Oh, and I've got this other. So tell me about the tanning business. What's um, happened with that? So a girlfriend and I, like, because I had sold the studio, a girlfriend approached me and was like, oh, do you know what? We're going into lockdown. It'd probably be a good time to get into something different. And she works um, in production. It's her her job to predict trends in the market. And people are trending away from a tanning outside using the sun. They don't want to, like, burn their skin or, yeah. or do that process to be exposed and also people don't like the mess that comes with actual tanning so the brown and needing to walk around the house like a scarecrow not touch anything for hours on end and in the bed sheets and whatnot so we we actually worked with a lab for a year and created a tanning water so it's completely clear um, you spray it on and you it dries within a couple of minutes and you go about your day and within four to six hours you've got a glow um, hang on if it's if it's clear I'm not a very big tanner, so this might be a stupid question, but if it's clear, how do you know it's on your skin? So it's got a massive spray. So you spray it around and then you use a brush and go <laughs> over. And because of how big the spray is, it gets all the areas. <laughs> it gets all the areas. Yes, everything. In all the nooks and crannies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so it's like a, okay, what's this product called? It's called Lavish Tanning Water. It's got hyaluronic acid and collagen in it, so it's got benefits for your skin as well, which is one of the things we needed to create because we needed dual-purpose products, especially for time-poor mums yep. um, that just want to, still want to tan but don't have time for it. So can you just buy it or do you buy it online? How do you buy it online? Um, there's a few chemists and different stores that stock it actually across Australia. We wholesale it out as well. Tell me, what's your advice for someone who might have a dream of starting their own business? What advice would you give them? There's only so much planning you can do before you actually start doing the job. I know a lot of people are like, oh, we need to contact and get our logos done and get this yes. done and a website and the list goes on of all the things that you should do before you actually open your business. But yeah. I had Westfield with nothing but my mobile number and an email, yeah. not even a website. So You must be a good salesperson, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I don't know what they're thinking. No. <laughs> yeah, okay, so start. Don't wait for everything to be perfect is what I'm hearing you say. Well, that's exactly. Just get in there and start. Start making phone calls. Start booking yourself in to actually provide services if that's what you're wanting to do. There's no reason to wait. There's no checklist. There's never a good time and it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. You're never going to have everything, absolutely everything ready to go. So yeah, Absolutely. And did you bootstrap it for your first business? Was it your money that you were spending? Yes. Yeah, so you didn't do a business loan until you got the studio. Yeah, so and even then I got a business loan. It was just for the factory. I had to use all of my funds to renovate it. And how did you feel about taking some of those risks? They may not have been risks for you, but for other people they might have been like, holy crap, she used her own cash. Well, for me it was when I purchased the factory, I figured, well, if all else fails, I can sell it. True. 
Yeah. You, know, you, you look at the fail safes uh, of some things. For anything else, you, you sort of do the bare minimum to see what you can get by with and don't invest. I wouldn't advise anyone to invest lump sums of money into a business um, without having a fail safe of what if it goes wrong? What if you can't do anything with it? Like, are you okay with losing those funds? Or can you sell something and get the funds back? Um, I mean, when you when you first started, you were still really young, brand new baby. Who was mentoring you? Who was helping you? Did you have anyone? Or so you just Googled it? <laughs> Google was my mentor. That is the one regret I have is not finding a mentor. It would have probably shortened the process and, and a lot of less failures along the way yeah. um, or little mistakes. So I do regret not having a mentor. But yeah. I just Googled and found the information and whatever was most logical and rational is what I went with. I love that. And what about your mum and dad? Because they play a quite a big part when you were pregnant and when you had had Kingston. How did they feel about you going and doing all these little endeavours, which could have looked like a hobby, but then they turned into these massive businesses? What were they like? Well, at the start, they didn't want me. I'd, I'd been offered a full-time job in a bank and that would have been preferred considering I did VCAL and not VCE and I didn't go to uni and I was a single mum. So for my parents, getting a job in a bank was amazing. Like, yeah. It was the best I could have done. Why would you turn it down? Why would you turn it down? What I got from my parents was their work ethic. My dad worked in a factory his whole life. My mum was a PA. They didn't really have business sense or the like sense to, to take risks, but they definitely helped me with everything. I remember coming home and my dad, um, I was already at home. My dad came home from doing night shift and I was cutting all these um, stickers out for a kid's activity I needed to do at the Westfield Shopping Centre the next day. And he would sit there and be like, all right, what are we cutting? Like, and, and just automatically join at five o'clock in the morning after a 12-hour shift. Oh, um, what a so sweetheart. They supported in any way that they could once I had started but but they were definitely on the path of wanting me to buy a house and not another factory and didn't quite get the vision until I'd opened it and then they're like oh okay we get it now Um, (laughs) well at least they got it then rather than when you sold oh we we get it now (laughs) yeah exactly exactly but they never were too discouraging just like just enough to be cautious normal parents speak I guess yeah but also sometimes our parents play such a significant part on the voices in our head their beliefs somehow shift onto us Mm -hmm. so what was it about you and your personality or your style that went I hear what you're saying but I'm gonna do this thing Again, it's my determination and the belief in myself. I didn't need people to believe in me. I believed in me. Well, I that's knew amazing. That I was capable of and I knew that I could do it. And if I knew that, then I was going to make it succeed no matter what. And people come around. They <laughs> people do. come around. Yeah, they'll yeah. come around. <laughs> <laughs> they always do. <laughs> I love that. So what I'm hearing you say is that if you've got determination and you're passionate about something and you're not worried about what other people think, you can create a life that you want and evolve it as you go, which is kind of what you've done. Well, that's exactly it. It's amazing. What advice would you give to anyone listening thinking, oh, I might want to take this next step, but I'm not sure? Just go for it. Life's too short. If anything has shown us, especially coming out of COVID, that everything could change in an instant anyway. Yeah. So you might as well be doing what makes you happy. Yeah. Um, what brings you joy and anything that you want to work towards, just go for it. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time, Casey. It was lovely to uh, chat with you. And for everyone who is listening to Casey and thinks, oh, I want to read her book, go and get Casey's book. Casey, what's the name of your book? 
Girls Don't Lay Bricks. It's available at all the major bookstores. And thank you, Emma, for having me today. It's been like so nice to chat with you. I don't know why I'm stuttering now, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, Casey. That's it for this episode of Tea with the Queen. If you want to contact me directly, all my details are at my website, emmamcqueen.com.au. I look forward to your company next episode. I'm Emma McQueen. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for coming.